Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for your grace and your mercy. Thankful for this privilege that has been afforded to us to gather together and study a portion of your word. We are aware that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So as we have gathered, we pray that God, the Holy Spirit will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move now to Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Where we'll be dealing with lack of water and responses to the lack of water. Exodus 17, beginning of verse 1 in the 1984 edition of NIV reads, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now let me refresh your mind concerning the primary message of the major section of Exodus chapter 16 verses 1 through chapter 17, verse 7, which is, be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders, since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. Now this primary message is derived from the fact that Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 7, is concerned with Israel's complaint against Moses, and so against the Lord. Now there are two complaints of Israel in this section. Complaint against starvation, and complaint 
against thirst. The complaint about starvation in the 16th chapter was made by the Lord through the provision of manna and quail. The complaint regarding thirst, which also was made by the Lord through Moses, striking of the rock, is the concern then of the first seven verses of this 17th chapter of Exodus, which is the focus of our study this evening. Now verse 1 of the 17th chapter says the events of lack of water that Israel experienced. Verses 2 through 7 deal with the responses to this problem by Israel, by Moses, and by the Lord as he interacted with Moses. Now we stated several uh, lessons that helped to expound the provision of manna and quail, specifically in Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 36. Now we will do the same thing here as we expound on Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. In other words, we will expound the section before us by presenting lessons that are associated with specific verses. However, we will not necessarily follow sequentially the verses as we expand the section. Instead, the verse that we expound will depend on the lesson that we are considering. But be assured though that we will cover every verse of this passage that we are considering at the end of our study of this section. Now, precisely though, there are four lessons that we will consider that help us in expanding the section before us. Now, the reason we will lead our exposition of the section with lessons is that we do not believe that the Holy Spirit intends us merely to read this section as a narrative that concerned Israel, but not us. In effect, we do this because the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, conveys to us that everything written in the Old Testament Scripture is to teach us, as stated in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 reads, For everything that is written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This being the case then, we will miss what the Holy Spirit intended to teach us in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, if we read or study it as merely a narrative of what happened to Israel on their way to Canaan after they have been 
liberated from slavery in Egypt. Of course, their liberation from slavery parallels our liberation from the slavery of sin by the date of Christ on the cross. Does then there is a sense in which Israel travels through the desert toward Canaan parallels our spiritual journey from the time we are saved until we enter into the presence of our Lord with the final destination for the rest of our faith. We are in a race. Its termination is when we enter into the presence of our Lord. And so we are saying that there is a parallel. Israel went through all these things that they had to go to enter the promised land. For us, we are running a race. And that race will terminate when we see our Savior. Either by Him coming or by we living this planet. So the point I'm emphasizing though is that it's important that in the study of the narratives of the Old Testament scripture that we ponder what we are studying with prayer to God to enable us to harness the lessons or truthful principles that he wants us to learn from the experience of what happened to Israel or to believers of the Old Testament times. To this end, we will begin with the first lesson of the section that we are about to study. The first lesson necessary to expound Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7 that is concerned with lack of water and responses to it is this. Very simple lesson. God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. Again, very simple. God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. Now this lesson is derived then from Exodus 17 verse 1. Again it reads, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the first thing then we note about verse 1 is that Israel was continuing sequentially their travels in the desert as directed by the Lord to Moses. We know this because of the Hebrew particle that begins verse 1. Now the Hebrew particle is one that's often translated and in our English versions. Interestingly, that particle occurs almost 6,000 times in the Old Testament scripture. 5,000 something. However, it has several other usages though, although it's often translated and in our English versions. Now, although a majority of our English versions, they not translate it, but it is used here to either to indicate an event that is sequential to a previous event, in which case it may be translated then or it is used to introduce a new aspect 
of Israel's complaint or simply a new aspect of their travels in the desert, in which case it may be translated now or left untranslated though as done in majority of our English versions. Now the reason we say that it could be used to indicate an event that is sequential is that we were informed of Israel's movement from Elim to the desert of Sin as we read in Exodus 16 verse 1. And and hold on to that because I'm going to read the next two verses there too. Exodus chapter 16 verse 1 reads, The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So, verse 1 of Exodus 17 then, may be understood as introducing an event that is sequential in the travels of Israel from Elim to their first arrival at a place in the desert of Sin. Now, we also also assert that it is possible that the Hebrew particle is used to introduce a new aspect of Israel's complaint. Now you see, soon after we were informed of Israel's arrival in the desert of Sin, we read of their complaint to Moses, as stated in verses 2 and 3 of that Exodus 16. Verse 2 reads, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the laws and in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out of this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, but in, the, in Exodus 17 verse 1, we read, But there was no water for the people to drink. That triggered their complaint that we'll get to in verse 2 of chapter 17. Thus then it is possible that the Holy Spirit wants us to recognize that a new aspect of Israel's complaint is the concern of the section of Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 through 7. And so the reader should recognize that this section is concerned with another aspect of Israel's complaint. Now, this notwithstanding, it is probably the case that the Hebrew particle that begins verse 1 is to alert all of us who read it that what follows is sequential to what transpired in the previous chapter, chapter 16, and of a new aspect of the same complaint of the travels of the Israelites. They had started some complaining in chapter 16. 
And so, chapter 17 is a new aspect of that. So anyway, the first thing we know though, about verse 1 then, is that Israel was continuing sequentially their travels in the desert as directed by the Lord, and they continued with grumbling against Moses. That's the first thing we know. The second thing we note about Exodus 17 verse 1 is that Israel's travels were in accordance with God's will and leading. As indicated in the sentence of Exodus 17 verse 1 we're starting, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Let's see, to begin with that phrase, from place to place of the NIV, is more literally for their journeys. For their journeys. Now, this is because the phrase, place to place of the NIV, is how the translators of the NIV interpreted the plural of a Hebrew word that may mean breaking camp. Breaking camp. As it is used to describe either the assembling of Israel or for breaking their camp by sounding of a trumpet, as we read in Numbers chapter 10, verse 2. Numbers Hold on to Numbers if you get it. Numbers Chapter 10, verse 2. Numbers chapter 10, verse 2 reads, Make two trumpets of hammered silver, and use them for calling the, the community together, and for having the camps set out. Now, so that verbal phrase, for having the camps set out, of the NIV is more literally for breaking camp. For breaking camp. Now the word may mean journey as it is used in describing the various stages of Israel's travels as we read in Numbers chapter 33 verse 1. Numbers chapter 33, verse 1. Numbers 33, verse 1. It reads, Here are the stages in the journey. That's the Hebrew word uh, that we say means breaking camp. So here's in the journeys of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Now, in our passage of Exodus 17, verse 1, the Hebrew word has the sense of journey. That is, the act of course traveling from one place to another, often by foot or traveling over a long distance. It's probably because of the uh, record regarding the travels of the Israelites after they departed from the first place they encamped in the desert of sin. That is the reason they 
translators of the NIV convey that Israel traveled from place to place. Now this aside, we know that, that Israel's journey, uh, at least that uh, one thing that we know is this, that uh, Israel's journey in the desert were according to God's plan or God's will. That much we know. And not only that, it's according to his will and also according to his directive. As in that phrase we are studying in verse 1 of um, Exodus 17, because it says, as the Lord commanded. That's showing directive, as the Lord commanded. Or literally, according to the mouth of Yahweh. According to the mouth of Yahweh. Now we contend that Israel's journey we are calling to God's will and directive because we have a Hebrew word that literally refers to the mouth. Mouth. However, the word may uh, mean communication as it is used with a sense of order. Referring to Joseph's communication as the second in command in Egypt as we read in Genesis chapter 41 Verse 40. Genesis chapter 41 verse 40. Yeah, we're going to see the, uh, the Hebrew word pay. That's mouth, pay. P-E-H, if you want to write it down, but it's not need. Here is, it reads... You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. See that word orders is how it is really the if you translate it literally means they are to submit to your mouth. And that's not communicating, it means to your orders, to the instruction that come out of your mouth. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, when our Hebrew word is used in connection with God, it refers to communication from God himself, as it is used in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8. 8 verse 3. It is, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. In other words, everything he communicates. Now in our passage though, the Hebrew word pay has a sense of command. Thus, Moses indicated that Israel's travel was according to the Lord's instruction. Of course, the focus point though is what happened 
once Israel entered the desert of sin. Now we say this because the journeys of Israel so far have clearly been in accordance with the Lord's plan. Clearly. It was his plan that Israel should leave Egypt. Hence, he sent Moses to liberate his covenant people from uh, from slavery through series of miracles. Therefore, there's no doubt then that Israel's departure from Egypt is God's will. There's no doubt about that. However, Moses focused not on the entire movement of Israel from Egypt as part of God's plan, but on the movement that occurred in the desert of sin. Now, it is the command of the Lord that caused Israel to move from the place they first camped in the desert of sin, where the Lord provided them both manna and quail, to another location where they are. I mean, they went through other locations we'll see. Now, this location is then described in the sentence, they camped at Rephidim in verse 1 of Exodus 17 we're studying. They camped at Rephidim. Now, the location of Rephidim cannot be determined today with any certainty. The only thing we know is that that is not far from Sinai. That's all we know. Since we're informed that after Israel left Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. This we know from Exodus chapter 19, verse 2. Exodus chapter 19 verse 2 tells us after they set out from Rephidim they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel came there in the desert in front of the mountain now the father we do not know the exact location of Rephidim notwithstanding I mean I know people would like to know but what does it really matter if we don't know the exact location? What will it do for us? Even if we do know the uh, exact location, what will it do? Nothing. It just satisfies human curiosity, and that's all there is to it. But it doesn't matter. All that's important is that we know it's a place somewhere around Mount Sinai, very close to Sinai. So, the fact that we do not know, though, the exact location of Rebidim, with notwithstanding, it really it was a third place. The Israel, uh, Israelite camped after they left their first encampment in the desert of sin. We, we, we can say this because of what is given to us in Numbers chapter 33 verses 12 through 14. Now, wherever the first encampment, when they got to the desert of sin, they stayed there for a while, and 
the Lord moved them. And we say, they went to other places. But still sequentially moving until they got to this place uh, known as Rephidim. Here we know how they traveled. Numbers 33 verses 12 through 14 tells us, They left the desert of sin and camped at Dovka. At Dovka. They left Dovka and camped at Elos. They left Elos and camped at Rephidim. So you see two places before they got to Rephidim where there was no water for the people to drink. Now from the recording in Numbers 33, we can confidently assert that there was nothing significant that happened in the two places the Israelites encamped before they got to refeed them, so that no reference was made to these two places in Exodus 17. But nothing significant. Now we want to emphasize that Israel's travels uh, were guided by the Lord through the pillar of cloud as stated in Exodus chapter 13 verses 20 through 22. Exodus chapter 13 verses 20 through 22. Yiris, after leaving uh, Sokot, they camped at Ethan on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So this leading them of Israel by the Lord through the pillar of cloud will have continued until Moses set up the tent of the meeting. After which the cloud determined when they left their camp to another location, as we may gather from Numbers chapter 9, verses 17 to 19. Now, what uh, the point we are making is, the pillar of power was what, you know, when they moved, they moved. When they stopped, they stopped. But we're saying that that's what was used, that the Lord used to guide them more until the tent of meeting was set up. Once the tent of meeting was set up, the cloud more or less stayed over it. And until the cloud lifted, they don't go anywhere. And that's what we have here in Numbers chapter 9, verse 17 reads, Whenever the cloud lifted above the tent, the Israelites set out. 
Whenever the cloud settled, the Israel, Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. Now, as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. So that's what I'm saying until once they have that the tabernacle, the tent of meeting set up, that's what God was using there to guide them. The clouds settled there on top of it, over it, they stayed. When it's lifted, they moved. Now the reason we emphasize this though is that the Lord was guiding Israel during their travels in the desert. And that is important because of the lesson that we have stated. Remember the lesson we have stated is simply that, that God's leading does not mean you will not counter difficulties. God is leading them. Did that stop them from countering difficulties? We say no. That's the message, the lesson that we want to convey to you. That you are doing what God wants you to do doesn't mean you will not encounter difficulties. That you're going the way the Lord wants you to go does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. Now, woe in my judgment, woe to that believer who is easily running away because they encounter a little difficulty. You know, you cannot stand still. You can't be long enough in any place because you encounter a small difficulty, you give up. We're saying this lesson says no. You need to know first of all that you are in God's way. But once you know that, difficulty should not be what determines to you whether you are in doing what he wants you to do or not. Now that Israel then was following the instruction of the Lord concerning their travels did not mean that they would not encounter difficulties when they arrived at Revidim, for they did. Now the difficulty is given in the last clause of where we are studying Exodus chapter 17 verse 1. The last clause says, But there was no water for the people to drink. That's a difficulty. See, the translators of the NIV, of course, begin this clause with the word but. But. That indicates a contrast between what may be expected and what actually happened. What's, that's the contrast. See, the conjunction but is translated from the Hebrew particle that we indicated previously. It's often translated and in our English versions, but with various other Usages. Now the meaning but is intended is the intended meaning in our clause in that our clause conveyed something that was unexpected. Something un- unexpected. Now we say this because as we have indicated, the Israelites traveled to two other places before they got to Rephidim. We saw those two places. However, there was nothing uh, uh, eventful that happened in these two places since they were not even mentioned in the 17th chapter of Exodus. Furthermore, it will seem that there there were some water sources or oases in these two places, Israel camped, before they reached Rephidim. 
Because if there were no water there, that's why we'll have read they were complaining. We didn't read that. He didn't mention that. That means they must have had the, after the first one. Then the next one they had water. The next one they had water. So they now expect to have water. Now, but they didn't. That's why the word here, the uh, Hebrew particle has that meaning, but. So if that was not the case, that they didn't find what they were uh, looking for, Israel, as far as, far as we are concerned, when they were in those other places, they would have been complaining about not having water, as they did previously when they camped at Mara, as we read in Exodus chapter 15, verses 23 through 24. Exodus chapter 15 verses 23 through 24. It is, when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara. So, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? We didn't read any of those in those other two places where they stopped it. But if they had, had no water, would have read the same thing. So anyway, we contend then there was no problem of drinking water in the two places the Israelites encamped before reaching Rephidim. This being the case, the Hebrew particle that began the last sentence of Exodus 17 verse 1 when it said there was no water for the people to drink was certainly have been used by Moses to show a contrast between the two places Israel traveled before encamping at Rephidim, or to contrast between what was expected and what actually happened. In effect, the expectation of Israel would have been that since after the encampment in Marah, the Lord had led them to where they had drinking water, that that will be the case when they arrive at Rephidim. That's what they would be expecting. But it didn't happen. But as I said, that, was, that didn't happen. It's for this reason then that we contend that the last sentence of Exodus 17 verse 1 should rightfully begin with the conjunction but, as in the an IV and many of our English versions. Of course, it is possible to consider the Hebrew particle as introducing a new topic, in which case it may be translated now. Now. Now, this interpretation, I'm not sure, but this may be the interpretation adopted by the translators of the New English Translation since they use the word now to begin this last sentence of Exodus 17 verse 1. Now be that as it may though, if the Israelites expected water, but there was none. It is possible that some of them might have been wondering if Moses actually led them 
to where the Lord wanted them to be during their travels. See, they send water, water, now, no water. So some of them will say, Are you sure, Moses? Did you lead at the right place? In other words, there might have been those who would think that because the Lord is leading them, they should not encounter the difficulty of not having drinking water. Such individuals will be wrong. Now, in, in case in case of the Israelites, though, they should have learned that from the time of their departure from Egypt, they had faced great difficulties for which the Lord delivered them. They faced the difficulty of how to cross the Red Sea, and the Lord divided it. They had faced the problem of bitter water, and the Lord made it drinkable for them. In short, they should have realized that the facts the Lord is leading a person or because a person is doing God's will does not mean that the individual will not encounter difficulties or challenges. Now it is important that you understand that as a believer because there is this thing about someone, many of us, we encounter a little bit of difficulty about whatever it is, we want to walk away from it. We say, oh, now it cannot be God's will. You haven't stayed enough, long enough to find out what's God's will for you. You haven't done that. You quickly give up. Just because you encounter difficulties. My fellow believers, there is no such thing as a smooth sailing on this planet. We have to understand that. We are living in a world ridden by sin. Satan is still controlling the world in, in a sense of sin under God's, you know, God's direction. Because he gave him the authority to do that. He hasn't rescinded it. When he, did, when he does, Satan will be in jail forever. But right now, he's still giving him that authority to go around and do whatever he wants to do under his direction, of course. So, it is important that you do not just walk away because you encounter the first difficulty of life. Whatever it happens to be that you're doing, I don't care what it is in whatever field, don't be one that easily throw, throw the towel, as they say. Wait and wait, pray and pray, and be sure, be convinced without doubt that God doesn't want you in that direction. Otherwise, there's no reason to just throw your hand just because you countered a little bit difficulty. So in any case, the lesson then that we have stated is that God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. Now I know it's a simple lesson. It's a difficult one when we encounter difficulties. If we don't sink that in our soul, that we should know, sink it inside your soul, that just because God is leading you does not mean you are not going to encounter difficulties. Like I say, it's simple. But whether you remember it, in those difficult times, it's another thing. Anyway, 
Because oh, there are many believers that have not learned this lesson that we have stated. Now let me illustrate this lesson from the experiences of two great believers given in the scripture. My first example is the experience of Peter in, the, in relation to the instruction of the Lord to him that occurred in the lake. Now this event involved the incident of Jesus Christ walking on water. The disciples not recognize that he was one walking in on the water, thought that they had seen a spirit or to say ghost, as we read in Matthew chapter fourteen, verses twenty five through twenty six. Matthew chapter fourteen, verses twenty five through 26. And hold on to that, Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. It reads, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. How wouldn't you be? If you are on a boat or on a ship and you look out there and see somebody walking on the water, you'll be terrified too. They were. So he said they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now Jesus spoke to them. In to calm their fear. But they were still afraid. However, Peter spoke up, telling the Lord that if he were the one walking in water to command him to come to him. Jesus did that. As we read in that Matthew chapter 14, look at verses 27 through 28. It is. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus responded by commanding Peter to come to him as we read verse 29. Verse 29 says, Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the water, I mean out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now you think about it for a moment. Peter obeyed the Lord and started walking on the water as we have read here in verse 29. Now we should know that Peter, indeed, started to walk on the water. Clearly, it was the will of Jesus Christ for Peter to walk on water after his command. Now, as we have read then, Peter walked 
on the water toward Jesus. Thus then, Peter was following the will of the Savior. And so, if the lesson we stated is not true, then we should not expect Peter to encounter any difficulty as he proceeded to obey the instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ to him. But because what we said is true. So, but this did not happen. In the sense, he didn't have a, a, a period with no difficulty. He did have difficulties. So, no sooner than Peter began to walk uh, towards the Lord Jesus, he encountered a great challenge to his walking on the water, although he was following the last instruction. The challenge was that of wind blowing probably towards him, so that his faith was challenged, and he began to sink. As we read, look at verse 30 of that Matthew chapter 14, look at verse 30. Verse 30 reads, Then when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord, of course, saved Peter from drowning. Now, Peter's experience conveys that doing or following God's instruction does not mean that a person who does so will not encounter difficulties. In other words, get rid of that notion in your mind that just because you are doing what God wants you to do, that you're not going to encounter any difficulty. Dismiss that. This is not biblical. You will obey him, you will do what he wants to do, you still encounter difficulties. That you should recognize as a believer. Of course, there's of course uh, certainly uh, another point to Peter's experience, which that we all need to also pay attention to, which is to make us to be aware that we falter in our faith once we look away from focusing on the Lord and become distracted by fearful events of this life. If you, are, you remove your focus from the Lord and you listen and see all these fearful, fearful events in the, in, on this planet, you can become one that falter in your faith. Now, you don't have, we have a lot of it today. Well, some of you, all you have to do turn on the news, whatever it is, or read, whatever you're reading. You have a lot of things that bombard you to cause you to tremble, to fear. The believer shouldn't look at those things. Because once you do that, you will falter in your faith. You start, you know, thinking like those people who are <laughs> disseminating some of those information. Instead of no, say, I don't care what happens. It has no bearing to me. Because I'm in a cocoon sheltered by the Lord. And the only way I get out of it is when he says, it's time for you to get out of this planet. Otherwise, nothing is going to get me out. Furthermore, as long as he keeps me here, he's going to take care of me. So you don't follow all these people. You know, that's all they live by. 
And so they think about how do I protect this? How do I protect? You don't protect anything on this planet. Whatever God's will is, <laughs> that's what's going to take place. So the point is that Peter's experience will prove that just because a believer is following God's instruction does not mean there will be no challenges. My second illustration is with Apostle Paul. Now, after a successful ministry in Ephesus, the Apostle decided to go to Rome, as we read in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Now, you know who Acts, uh, that's where I'll be to the end of our study this evening. Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Now, we are going to go through in Acts now until we end our study this evening. Acts chapter 19 verse 21 reads, After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. Now, after I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So, his desire to go to Rome was indeed God's will for him. Now, this is confirmed by the assurance the Lord gave him of testifying about him, both in Jerusalem and in Rome, in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Acts chapter 23, verse 11. It is, the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Clear, cut, simple fact. You're going to Rome. That's it. Now, there's really no doubt that the Lord wanted Paul to go to Rome and Jerusalem to testify about him. Now the apostle made his way to Jerusalem where he encountered difficulty that led him to be to being assaulted as we read in Acts 21 verses 27 and 28. Acts chapter 21 verses 27 through 28. He reads, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Now, it will appear that because the apostle was following the Lord's will, that he should not encounter the difficulty. But that was not the case. After his arrest in Jerusalem, he eventually ended up standing trial before Governor Felix and others. Now, the apostle faced further difficulties in that he was left in prison for two years, as we read in Acts 24, verse 27. 
Acts chapter 24, verse 27. Now, bear in mind now, the Lord said, you're going to Rome. But now he's in jail for two years. I mean, think about you and me. We say, Lord, didn't you say I was going to Rome? What am I doing here in jail? <laughs> Let's read anyway. He said, when, it, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by uh, Procure's Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Now because though, the trial of Apostle Paul was not going well, he appealed to Caesar, as we read in Acts chapter 25, verse 11. Acts chapter 25, verse 11. It is, If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the church is brought against me by these Jews and not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. So after starting a trial before Agrippa, the apostle was sent to Rome. Now, going to Rome was God's will for the apostle, as we have seen, but he encountered further difficulties. One of the more challenging difficulties of the apostle was suffering shipwreck, according to Acts chapter 27, verse 41. Acts No longer that chapter anyway. Acts chapter 27 verse 41 reads, But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stone was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Now, just like this ship, uh, shipwreck though, his life was spared because God's plan cannot be Thwarted. So look at verses 42 to 44 reads, The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to, uh, to spare Paul's life and keep them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land. The rest were to get their own planks and or pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. So, you will see all this. That Paul was to go to Rome. God's will. They look at the difficulties, one after the other, that he was encountering. So anyway, we have noted that several difficulties then the apostle Encounter, but eventually he got to Rome. Hence, we are certain that although the apostle was doing God's will, that he still encountered difficulties. So, this should remind you that because you are in God's will does not mean that everything will go smoothly for you. Just remember that. So, I'm saying. That the lesson Israel did not learn is one that you should learn as a believer. Again, what lesson is that? That 
God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. So, get that in your soul. Just because you encounter difficulties, don't throw up your hands to the air. That is a reality because we are still living in a world of sin. So, we are going to encounter difficulties as we do God's will. Now, that doesn't mean he won't grant you peace. He'll grant you peace in the midst of all the difficulties. That, my friend, is the thing that shields you from stumbling all over the place, the peace that he gives you. So again, I leave you with that lesson again. God's leading does not mean you will not encounter difficulties. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us to the things we have started so that in the days to come, we'll be well acquainted and well prepared to know that just because we are doing your will does not mean we're not going to encounter difficulties. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.